Bruce Nolan is standing by. Hey, Wacky Bruce! Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. If I seem a little out of sorts today, it's because I'm doing something that I very rarely do, which is adjust the schedule. Normally, I do these podcasts on Wednesday evening, and they drop on Thursday morning. However, as I mentioned last week, my wife is out of town, and she comes back Wednesday afternoon. And I'll be darned if I'm going to spend Wednesday afternoon slash evening slash late into the evening working on a podcast. So I am recording a podcast on a Tuesday night for dropping on Thursday, which has got me a little weird because I don't really know what day it is now. And I'm doing things out of their normal, natural order. So if I seem a little wonky, if I seem a little weird, that's the reason why. We've spent the last couple of episodes of this podcast talking about draft philosophy. And today, we're going to get caught up on some emails, and we are going to do the first of what may be a few live mock drafts on the show. And thankfully, I got a couple emails specifically about mock drafts. So let's dive in to these emails. Evan says, last time I built up to a ridiculously absurd almighty take. This time, I'm going to jump right in. Bean is going to trade Jordan Poyer prior to or on day one of the draft. He despises negotiating via the media. Poyer is on the wrong side of 30, and he will be made an example of. Bean is polite, professional, and will emotionlessly gut anyone who crosses the line with him. We're going to see Poyer in the bottom of the AFC South, or NFC South, as Bean is especially vindictive. Kyle Hamilton in the first round, and a cost-effective veteran as an insurance policy. No one publicly pressures Big Baller Bean and lives to tell the tale. I'm sure in the playoffs, the ticket office will be happy to sell Jordan a ticket to see Buffalo play while he's in the stands wearing a hide jersey. Oh, man. Evan just took a torch. What a take. Holy crap. It would not shock me if Jordan Poyer was traded. It would not shock me at all. Um, Brandon Bean knows full well that he can't keep everybody. And we've seen him be more than willing to move pieces in the past. But it was a little different because a lot of the pieces he moved in the past were not pieces that he himself was a part of acquiring. Now, it's really important to note that Bean was not a part of originally acquiring Poyer. He was a part of Poyer's first extension. That was something that Brandon Bean did. But Sean McDermott was the one who actually brought Jordan Poyer on board. I don't know if that's going to impact anything, but I think it's really important to note. Chris says, Bruce, I will let you judge the spiciness of this take. Move Tremaine Edmonds to strong safety, Trade all pro Poe to New York Giants for a corner with you know, the way that draft picks fall on trade to even the scales, you know, dependent stuff like that. Draft middle linebacker Muma, Wyoming value plus. 
Now check with the doggo on feedback because that's how my mind eye pictures you prepping for shows. Okay, buddy, he's he's sitting under my feet right now. I will check with him. Hold on, give me a second. What do you think? Yeah? No? Yes? Okay. He's looking at me like I'm nuts. So I'm going to go ahead out and say that moving Tremaine Edmonds to strong safety when he's played linebacker his whole life feels bad to me. I would not want Tremaine Edmonds dealing with potentially the deep half of the field. I don't think it's in his skill set to do so. And I would not be interested in that particular thing. So I think this is a crazy spicy take, a ghost pepper level take. And I would be really, really, really concerned if that was the case. Eric says, hello, person I know nothing about yet think of as a friend. I've never emailed. So I thought, yeah, what the heck? I think that Big Baller Bean lands a legit CB1 or CB2 behind Trey, if you will, with our first overall pick. The kind of person who drafts and starts day one. No questions asked. You'll notice I said first overall. I also believe Bean pulls a 2018 rabbit out of the hat thinking this is the year and moves up. Perhaps he moves up while trading some of our own valuable players. Now an opinion, if I might. I strongly believe this organization is from top to bottom poised for a Super Bowl run. Local media knows it. National media knows it. Everyone in the frickin' NFL knows it. My most favorite person on NFL Network, Rachel Bonetta, knows it too. Diehard fans know it. Odds makers know it. And when Vegas knows it, that's when stuff gets real. Thanks for all you do for Bills Mafia everywhere, Eric. So, first, I would absolutely not rule out a trade-up from Brandon Bean. When there are specific players he's targeting, you know that he'll do it. He has that Dave Gettleman in him. There's a level of organizational arrogance, and I don't necessarily mean that in a bad way, where they believe so strongly in their evaluation and their coaches to be able to develop these players that they are willing to go, no, that's the guy. Not this group of guys, not this tier of guys, that guy. He's the one. We have scrubbed and scrubbed and scrubbed and scrubbed and scrubbed this list. We came up with this one guy. We want this one guy. We're going to go get him. We know that he's done that. Did it for Tremaine Evans, did it for Josh Allen. So it's not absurd that they would do it. They did it for Cody Ford, they did it for Zay Jones. Now, Brandon Bean, again, like we mentioned earlier, was not part of the Zay Jones trade-up, but the organization did with the regime that's in place. So I don't think that's insane at all. I think the player that makes the most sense to me when it comes to trade-up for stuff like that is either a wide receiver like Jameson Williams or something like that, or Andrew Booth who seems likely to be the third cornerback off the board. And if he starts to slip into the late teens, early 20s, that's something I can see Brandon Bean moving up for. And that would actually cover both of your particular points that you initially made. Pete says, hey, Bruce, thanks for taking the time to read and respond to emails and tweets in addition to the work you put into podcasting each week. I wanted to address the urgency of the Bills Needed Corner. Right now, our CBs one through three are Trey White, Dane Jackson, and Taron Johnson. Even with the likelihood that White will spend September on the pup list, does the roster really merit the must draft round one or two? Need at corner that everyone's gung-ho about? I don't know. The conversation probably boils down to Dane Jackson versus a potentially high draft pick. Don't get me wrong. I'd love to see us grab a stud who locks down CB2 and pushes Dane into the backup role once Trey's healed. 
I just think there's way too hard of a push for us to take a corner early by any means necessary, e.g. trading into the top 10 or reaching at 25. The need really isn't quite so dire. We'd be fine addressing corner in the mid-rounds and in the remaining free agency period without undermining the value that could be held elsewhere with the 25th and 57th pick. Best, Pete. Pete, I agree with you. And I know that's going to sound like it's a shock for a lot of people. I do think cornerback is the biggest need on this roster. But I thought that last year and the year before, and they didn't do anything. I do think it's the biggest need. But as I mentioned earlier this offseason, the biggest need does not line up with the biggest expenditure. You don't just go, well, our biggest need is corner. Therefore, we'll do it in the first round. You know, it's funny. I said that. And then if I turn around and say something like, well, corner is our biggest need, therefore it should be our first round pick, that makes me a hypocrite. So I can't say that a month ago when it comes to draft philosophy, like in a vacuum, and then not apply it to my own opinions because that makes me a hypocrite. So I do think corner is the biggest need, but I don't think biggest need has to be biggest expenditure. I think you need to make sure that you're taking value into consideration. We're going to talk about an email here in a second that's going to outline a potentially nightmarish scenario for the Buffalo Bills where there really isn't a great opportunity to take a corner at 25. And when that happens, what are you going to do? And so I agree with you. I'm not just going to reach on just a corner because we got to get a corner at 25. The value's still got to be there. Now, I do think that if you go the first two days of the draft and you go through round four and round five and you haven't drafted a corner, then at that point, the value was probably there. At some point, there was probably value to be able to get a corner. You just chose not to. So I really think that the value argument can be made as long as a corner gets taken at some point. Because if it is a need, we've know from talking to GMs and listening to GMs talk after the draft that need is a tiebreaker for a lot of people. So what you're saying there is at no point was there a corner with a close to reasonably even grade with the player that you actually took over the entire first five rounds of the draft. I find that very hard to believe. But no, I'm not interested in just taking a corner at 25 just to take a corner at 25. Vince asks, Bruce, at what point would you theoretically be comfortable taking David Bell? David Bell is a wide receiver from Purdue University. He is six feet tall, weighs 212 pounds, ran a 4.65. Uh, David Bell is someone who, when you watched his tape, you immediately were worried about the athleticism you were going to get from him. You thought, okay, I hope he tests better than he looks because maybe then it's just my eyes. He did not test better than he looks. David Bell is a markedly below average athlete. And athleticism at the wide receiver position does matter quite a bit to me. So David Bell is a day three guy for me. I think there's an opportunity for you to make him like a power slot. I think uh, NFL.com's Lance Zerline compared him to Zay Jones. So I don't know what that comparison does for you, but he's a very one speed player. And I think that he gives good effort when he's blocking. So I think he's a day three power slot kind of player. Alex says, hello, Bruce. I'm a big Buffalo Bills fan from Austria. So first of all, I'd like to apologize if I make some mistakes, and I hope you understand my question because English is not my native language. First off, Alex, the fact that you're even taking the opportunity to be able to send this to me and write this out to me, knowing that it's not your native language, means a lot to me because 
no matter how bad you don't like your English, it's probably better than my German. So he says, I'm still trying to understand how to evaluate draft prospects. I often come across the word upside. When people or experts are talking about a draft prospect or a young player in general, they say things like, this guy has a lot of upside, or player A has a higher ceiling than player B. It seems like a very objective thing when you're trying to evaluate the upside of a player. You're basically trying to predict how a player is going to improve or play in the future. This seems really hard because nobody can actually predict the future. So because you are always trying to break things down in a logical way, I'd be very interested to find out how to determine such an unpredictable aspect. So how do you measure the upside of a player and what are things you're looking for when evaluating the potential of a young prospect? Thank you very much. And I appreciate the things you've taught me, Alex. First off, Alex, thank you for sending this. This is a great question and it's a great and salient time to talk about it. So everyone's going to define the word upside a little bit differently, but I'll tell you the way that I define it and the way that I interpret it when it's said to me. Upside is the sum of the player's traits. So if you say someone has a trait, a positive trait, you add that to another trait, you add that to another trait, the people who have the highest collection of traits are considered to have the highest upside. They can do the most things. Now, they might not always do the most things the most consistently, and that's the reason why they haven't met their ceiling yet, but the upside is the collection of traits. I'll give you a great example that we're all familiar with. Josh Allen had a tremendous amount of upside. Even the people who didn't like the pick or the people who didn't really like the player that much still acknowledged Josh Allen had a lot of upside. Why? Well, let's go down the list of traits. Size, trait. Mobility, trait. Arm strength, trait. These are big, big traits. Leadership ability, trait. All of these things are traits. So what you do is you collect them all and go, man, that's a lot of upside. Now let's compare that to someone like Jake Fromm. Jake Fromm, size? No. Mobility? No. Arm strength? No. Leadership? Yeah, yeah. I think he got pretty good marks for leadership. Accuracy? Not really. Every time he threw the ball in college past 20 yards, it really didn't have a high percentage chance of actually being completed and being effective. So when you look at the collection, the bundle, the accumulation, the sum of the traits, it's like a Tom Clancy novel, the sum of all fears. It's just the sum of all traits. But instead of Ben Affleck, it's Josh Allen. So that's the way that I look at upside is literally just going through and not even paying attention to the consistency by which they execute the traits, just the traits themselves, just the binary of the trait. Is it present? Not how often can they do it? Just can they do it? Because one of the things that coaching is attempting to do is to get you to more consistently do the things that you do less consistently now. That's one of the points of coaching and development. Well, yeah, he can put the ball on a dime one out of five times. Okay, well, let's see if we can get him to put the ball on a dime three out of five times. But the ability to do it is what makes it a trait. 
Now, the natural extension from that question is, how do you define a trait? Because I gave some examples. But for some people, trait is something that is uncoachable. So size would be a trait. Arm strength would be a trait. But accuracy would not be a trait. For some people, that's the way they define trait. For other people, they don't define it that way. So even if you acknowledge the definition that upside is just the accumulation of the traits, you still have to determine what someone's definition of trait is, what your own definition of trait is, in order to make sure that you're collecting the right things to make up your sum. Hope that helps. Christopher says, hi, Bruce. We are not going to replace Edmonds in the draft this year. It would make zero sense to draft a replacement and think he could just come in and be a better starter day one. We would need to draft a first-round linebacker with a lot of potential and athleticism, so we would need to draft Tremaine Edmonds. And Tremaine Edmonds, who has not been in the scheme for the past four years and has not been coached by Bob Avich. If we're going to replace Tremaine Edmonds this year, it would need to be with an established free agent, which means most likely we would have already had to have done it. Maybe... We could get a developmental linebacker this year and have him replace Tremaine next year. I personally think we should try to extend Tremaine, and if we can do it at a reasonable cost, great. If not, we'll have to sign or draft a replacement next offseason. It is true that if Tremaine walks in free agency, they'll have let him go for nothing. When we could have traded him, but I don't see any options this year which make winning a Super Bowl more likely than does keeping Tremaine. So if he leaves with a ring on his finger, I'm fine with it. Thanks, Chris. I think you're right about the idea that it's unlikely to get a player to come in and be better than Tremaine Edmonds day one. But I don't think that's the entirety of the equation. If you trade Tremaine Edmonds for a two and you draft a player with that two that is not as good as Tremaine Edmonds, but you utilize that $12 million that you saved by trading Tremaine Edmonds and you picked up a reasonable CB2, are you net ahead now? Because you're not just trading Tremaine and getting a day two pick back. You're trading Tremaine and you're getting a day two pick and $12 million in cap hit back. So it's about the totality of the equations, what you had before versus what you had after. So I agree with you that you're probably not going to find somebody for what you could trade Tremaine for, that's better than Tremaine day one. But that's not the entirety. Would you rather have Tremaine Edmonds or would you rather have a day two linebacker and a CB2 for $12 million? That's important. Now, all of a sudden, it's a little bit different of an equation now. So a lot of times when we think about these things, we don't really balance the scales the way we probably should. Because it's not just about that return. I agree with you, but I don't think it's just about that return. Andrew has a mock draft simulation for me. And we are going to do this together. Andrew says, hey, Bruce, I've been playing with the Draft Network's mock draft simulator for a couple weeks now. And I'd like to get your thoughts on what you do during the simulation. Who would you pick if the prospects at positions of need as follows are all off the board? Garrett Wilson. Drake London, Jameson Williams, Jahan Dotson, Chris Olave, Sauce Gardner, Derek Stingley, Andrew Booth, Trent McDuffie, Tyler Linderbaum, and Zion Johnson. 
this would be my nightmare scenario because I want the Bills to get one of these prospects. I could totally see it playing out this way. If it were to play out this way, I hope the Bills would trade down, but they'd obviously need a partner, and it's easier said than done. I've been drafting Kenyon Green in this scenario, who I like, but I only love the idea of Zion Johnson as a guard in the first round. I'm guessing your choice would be your boy Tariq Woolen, but I'd be curious to know your pick. My personal dream scenario is Dodson or Olave in round one, Spiller in round two, Cam Taylor, Britt in round three, Kobe Bryant or Martin Emerson in round four, Matareza in round five, Justin Ross round six, Jalen Armour Damus round seven, and Logan Bruss round seven. Well, I'll tell you what, let's fire up the mock draft simulator and let's go ahead and plug it in so that all of those players are gone and we'll see what we think. While I am working on that, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to be right back. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. I had a specific list of players that I absolutely needed to have off the board for the purposes of this email from Andrew. And as a reminder, I had to force a situation where the following players were all gone by 25. Garrett Wilson, Drake London, Jameson Williams, Jahan Dawson, Chris Olave, Sauce Gardner, Derek Stingley, Andrew Booth, Trent McDuffie, Tyler Linderbaum, and Zion Johnson. Now, I will tell you this. It was more difficult than you think to arrange this particular scenario. And when I did, here were some of the players that were left over. George Karloftis from Purdue. Kenyon Green, as you mentioned, Texas A&M. Devin Lloyd, linebacker, Utah. Kair Elam from Florida. Daxton Hill from Michigan. Traylon Burks from Arkansas. Boye Mafe from Minnesota. Perion Winfrey, Oklahoma. David Ajabu from Michigan. Quay Walker. There was only two quarterbacks who went, which means... Matt Corral is still here. Kenny Pickett is still here because Ritter and Willis were the only quarterbacks off the board. So first off, this does leave an opportunity to be able to have somebody trade up. In the Detroit Lions, for example, wanted to trade up from 32. Now would be the time because I had them taking Aiden Hutchinson at two. So that's the first thing is that the players that are left, the people who got pushed down, give you a potential opportunity for trading back. But if it's me and you force me to stay here, I'm okay with Kenyon Green. I'm okay with George Karloftis, although people aren't going to like taking another edge. I'm okay with Traylon Burks here. I'm comfortable that the offense is going to have a system in place where he can have a role right away. The player that I've been seeing mocked to the Buffalo Bills at this spot sometimes is Quay Walker, and I wouldn't be thrilled with that. But really, those are some of the top players. If you want to go Daxton Hill and you wanted to go safety, I'd be okay with it. I'm not thrilled, but I'm fine with it. So this is literally a nightmare scenario with the Buffalo Bills, and I still have some players that would make me walk away going, yeah, that's fine, because not every player is going to make you jump for joy. In fact, some of the best players that you take are going to be players that at the time made you go, okay, yeah, I see it. You know who was a great example of that for me? Matt Milano. When the Bills drafted Matt Milano, I was like, yeah, no, good. Perfectly fine with that. Subpackage linebacker, converted safety, I'm good with it. 
turned out to be one of the best picks from that round. And I'm okay with that here. I don't love Kair Elam here. I don't like, I wish he tackled better. And I think he's a little bit stiff and I think he can sometimes give up a little bit too much separation uh, at the route stem. But I think there are options here. I mean, let's be honest. We talked about first round linebackers a few seconds ago. Devin Lloyd is right here. And he's LB1 for most people in this class. Now, I have some players I'd probably prefer later on in the draft. Off-ball linebacker is not a crazy high priority for me. But, I mean, Boye Mafe, if you want to go edge rusher, I'm perfectly happy with that. David Ajabu, the only reason he's here is because of his injury. He's a top 10 player in this class. So if you really wanted to kind of buy low on something, this is an opportunity. So for me, I'm completely okay, even in this nightmare scenario that we talked about. So we did it. We got through all of the emails about draft. We're going to do a quick mock draft here as well, but we are going to set some boundaries because otherwise it would take 40 minutes to do it. And that is, I'm not allowed to make any trades. I have to hang up on every single person who calls me and we're going to go ahead and get started. And it's going to be amazing. Everything you could possibly want it to be and more. So I went to the TDN mock draft machine and I really enjoy the draft network mock draft machine. I think that it's a blessing that we have so many different types of mock draft machines that can help us get a good idea for predictive boards and things like that. But for me, I think that knowing that the host of Locked On Bills, Joe Marino, works for the Draft Network and helps inform some of these rankings just makes it a little cooler for me. So that's the reason why I have a tendency to use the the Draft Network one. So that's just me. So at 25, I have the following players on the board. Desmond Ritter, Zion Johnson, Tyler Linderbaum, Kenyon Green, Devin Lloyd, Chris Olave, Kair Elam, Traylon Burks. So... Historically, I would go Olave here. That's what I've historically done. However, I'm going to leverage supply and demand in this case. I think that there's a better opportunity to be able to get a wide receiver in round two and round three who can come in and contribute as opposed to a player like Zion Johnson, who I think is plug and play. And I think is going to be a really effective player for a long time. I would be very, very excited if Zion Johnson was on the board at 25. So I'm going to go ahead and take him and we are going to get this whole thing moving. So as it goes around, I'm going to keep an eye on wide receiver and corner for my next two picks. And I'm going to make sure that I hang up the phone on every single person who calls me. And let me just tell you right now, the phone is ringing off the hook. Every few seconds, I'm getting the buzzer in my ear. Hey, Bruce, you want to make a trade? No, no, I don't. I don't want to. I mean, I do. I do want to make a trade, but I already set myself rules that I wasn't going to do that. So we're at 57. And the following players are sitting around here. Nicobe Dean, Quay Walker, Kenneth Walker III, Isaiah Spiller, Brees Hall, Roger McCreary, Chad Muma, Travis Jones, Logan Hall, David Bell, John Mechie. I don't think there's a wide receiver here I really, 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 really love. I think Calvin Austin has a chance to still be there when I pick in the third, and I really, really like him. You know that. But I don't think I'm going to be able to get a corner like Roger McCreary later in the draft. Now, I know what you've heard me say about Roger McCreary, and that is that I have concerns about his arm length. But this is really important. The statistic that you hear going around about 
arm length and cornerbacks specifically relates to all pro players that all pro players have a really, really, really high likelihood of being players who have greater than 31 inch arms. My counter to that would be, okay, yes, that's true. And if I'm drafting a corner high, really high, then obviously I'm shooting for them to be all pro. But if I'm drafting someone at 57, if they're not all pro, if they're just solid, am I good with that? I think I am. I think I'm good with that. I think I'm good with a solid, non-all-pro corner if I think I can get a high level of play that's not necessarily elite. And I'm good with that at a position of need where I have a scenario with Roger McCreary where I understand that there's going to be growing pains in zone. But if anybody can teach zone fundamentals to a corner, it's probably Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier. But the thing that's harder to teach to a corner is man instincts and man physical traits that certain people have and certain people don't. So I'm going to take Roger McCreary here at 57, and I'm going to be darn grateful for the opportunity. And now I'm going to hang up on everybody who's calling me again, because that's something that that's something we're all doing, apparently. There's an opportunity. I'm keeping an eye now on running backs, wide receivers, seeing who's sticking around for me. Because I really want a weapon at this point. And Brees Hall is on the board at pick 89, which is, quite frankly, obscene. I don't think Brees Hall is going to be on the board. I think there's a very reasonable chance he's the first running back off the board. And I think there's a chance he's a low first, high second round pick. But for the purposes of this discussion, he's the best player on the board. I know I haven't picked a wide receiver yet. I get it. But... Every single pick I've made was someone who I didn't think should reasonably be there. So I'm going to take Brees Hall running back Iowa State. Now, Brees Hall is my RB3, but don't let that make you think I don't like Brees Hall. I do. I just don't like him as much as I like Kenneth Walker and Isaiah Spiller. Um, I think that there's a chance that his explosiveness can help offset some of the concerns I might have about him rushing inside and some of the inside vision. But... I mean, come on, pick 89? You got to do what you got to do at that point. So here we are at pick 130. And Jelani Woods, the tight end from Virginia, who has been really popular recently, is here. The punt god, Matt Areza, is here. Zamir White, Rashad White. So I got some running backs here in the event that I hadn't taken Brees Hall before. I'd be able to take him now. The issue that you have is that now kind of the wide receivers have started to dry up a little bit and for people who are big proponents of taking wide receivers high in this draft that's the concern you're going to run into when you start to take a running back in the third and a cornerback in the second and an offensive lineman in the third so you're probably not going to get the elite plug and play ready to go high expectations right off the bus kind of player so i am going to take romeo dubs here from nevada I think that there is a little bit of Gabe Davis to Romeo Dubs. I think similar frames. I think even though Dubs didn't run, I think you could probably expect in the four fives, which is what Gabriel Davis ran. I think that same concern that you might have had about tightness and route tree coming out of Gabe Davis when it comes to UCF, I think are the same things you have concerns about with Dubs. And so I think that there's a nice kind of duality there 
that if you want somebody to be able to come in and have a track to run on from a developmental standpoint, I think Dubs has an opportunity there. So he's going to be my pick at that spot. Now we are up at pick 168 now. As a reminder, the players who I picked so far, Zion Johnson at 25, Roger McCreary at 57, Brees Hall at 89, Romeo Dubs at 130. At 168, I am going to double down on cornerbacks. I am going to take Josh Thompson, cornerback from Texas. I I do think that if the Buffalo Bills are not looking to make a significant change, right? if they're not looking to go to more man coverage, then number one, they probably wouldn't have taken Roger McCreary in the second round. But if you weren't looking to do that, then Josh Thompson is the type of player you would get. This is a boundary corner who tackles well, keeps stuff in front of him, plays disciplined, has the requisite size that you're looking for, but still has enough athleticism that you think that there's something there. So if you took Levi Wallace, for example, and you made him a better athlete, you'd probably end up with someone like Josh Thompson. So I'm completely cool with having him there at pick 168 and kind of hedging in the event that you have a situation where McCreary is not ready to go right away because he's still learning some of the fine-tuned techniques of zone coverage. You've still got Josh Thompson who can come in and compete on the outside with Dane Jackson. Also, if McCreary's arms end up being a problem and he ends up having to bump inside to nickel, then at least you have another boundary that you've protected yourself with at that point. Moving along. We are at pick 185. I am going to take Verone McKinley, the safety from Oregon. I'm going to take him here because I'm trying to protect myself, hedge against a potential Poyer movement. I think that McKinley is a good player. He's a versatile player. I think one of the things that makes the Buffalo Bills safety tandem work is the versatility to be able to do multiple things. Got to play able to play in the half field. You got to be able to play single high. You have to be able to tackle. If you play a slot a little bit, that would be helpful if you can come down and fill against the run. And I think Verone McKinley is a nice player who I think because of the varied skill set, the wide skill set is a player that McDermott and Frazier would be able to get the best out of. I am here at pick 203. Kalen Barnes, Matt Hankins from Baylor and Iowa cornerbacks are here. Wanway Thomas from Georgia Tech. Nick Grant, the safety from Virginia. Wanway Thomas is also a safety. Cade Hall and Jeffrey Gunter are both edges from San Jose State and Coastal California. Uh, sorry, Coastal Carolina, respectively. Um, I am going to take Charlie Kohler here, the tight end from Iowa State. I think he's an upgrade over Tommy Sweeney at the tight end three. And I think it's important to note that the Buffalo Bills currently don't really have any tight ends who are scheduled to be on the roster for 2023. And I think that that's important. Now, I think the assumption is that they're going to re-sign Dawson Knox, but that's not necessarily something you should always assume. You want to make sure you have bodies there. Currently, the only body there is Quentin Morris. So I think it's a bigger need from a body standpoint than people are making out to be. And I think you probably need to draft at least one this upcoming season. So we are here at pick 231 and we've got some things here. I'm going to take Vidarian Lowe because he is one of the players I really like taking late in the draft as a developmental offensive tackle. I think it's nice to swing on traits, get some toolsy players late in the draft. He's an offensive tackle prospect out of Illinois. And I think If you look at him and you think, gosh, you know, I'll take a swing on traits. Sure, why not? He's an older 
prospect, but with that comes a little bit maturity. I mean, this is a guy who's, you know, married, has kids, um, you know, is the David Carr of offensive linemen. And I think that if you're going to take a swing on something late in the draft, you want to take a swing on something that if you get them in the building and you see something promising, it can make you want to stash them and develop them on the practice squad. So that's what I look at when I'm looking at players I can take later in the draft. So, ladies and gentlemen, that is the mock draft. That's the entire mock draft. As a reminder, here are the picks that I made. Zion Johnson, interior offensive lineman, Boston College. At 57, Roger McCreary, cornerback, Auburn. 89, Brees Hall, running back, Iowa State. 130, Romeo Dubes, wide receiver, Nevada. 168, Josh Thompson, cornerback, Texas. 185, Verone McKinley, safety, Oregon. 203, Charlie Kohler, tight end, Iowa State. 231, Vidarian Lowe, offensive tackle, Illinois. Ladies and gentlemen, we did it. We did all the things we were supposed to do. We actually ran a little bit later tonight than I thought we were going to, but that's okay. And if you're a little bit grumpy that we ran a little bit late, or if you're grumpy at the picks I made, or if you're grumpy I only took one wide receiver, or any of those things, then, well, I don't know what to tell you, except that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings. Buffalo Rumblings.